everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. We're at episode 134, 134 episodes. Wow. And I am really excited for today's guest. And uh, she's become a dear friend. And she's very wise. And um, I'm very excited to say welcome to Suzanne Coleman, Dr. Susie Coleman. Hi, Susie. How are you today? Hi, I'm wonderful. So happy to be here with you today. I'm so glad to have you. So tell us, for one, what is your actual title? Dr. Susie Coleman. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist with a special certification in trauma therapy, as well as a certification as a yoga teacher, meditation, a hypnotherapist. And, 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 and one of my favorites is as a, I'm a certified breath worker. Oh my gosh. So you're going to have to tell us all about these things. So trauma, I want to talk about how trauma relates to addiction because a lot of our listeners out there for one, you know, might not know what real trauma is because they could think trauma just as has to be as, as dramatic as being like fighting in Vietnam. But does it have to be that intense to be trauma or what can trauma be defined as? Well, I probably wouldn't actually define it in terms of intensity. So in the old days, right, uh, trauma was seen more as, yes, somebody who has experienced uh a war type of situation or, you know, nowadays trauma can be seen as somebody who's been raped or sexually abused or molested. However, in more recent times, specialists and the experts, whoever they are, are defining trauma as more sadness. They're defining trauma as shame trauma as lots of guilt and regret and dread. So what they're seeing in in the research is how trauma affects the brain and sadness, regret, shame, fear affects the brain in the same way as a Vietnam vet is affected by trauma. So now they've come back and they've redefined the meaning of trauma. I love that. So a lot of people, do you believe that a lot of people that are battling the disease of addiction have gone through trauma? Absolutely. I believe that a lot of people who are battling the disease of addiction have had some sort of life event and then find a way to medicate their feelings through alcohol or through drugs A lot of times what happens to people is that they don't have those coping skills early on because a lot of coping skills are learned. So when they have that first experience with alcohol or drugs, they're feeling some sort of relief. Mm -hmm. I get that. I get that. And so they go and they turn to that's because this is what soothes them, right? The alcohol and the drugs soothes them and makes the actual brain stop and they don't have to keep playing that tape over and over and over in their head where they're feeling less than or feeling the shame or feeling the guilt or just even feeling sad. Correct. 
So what alcohol and drugs do is they start providing us with an appropriate coping mechanism. And like most coping mechanisms that we develop early on, eventually they stop working for us. And that's what happens with the alcohol and drugs. It becomes, you know, a habit. It becomes an addiction. It becomes, especially with certain particular substances, you need to continue using or you just don't feel good. Right. right. So, and then those coping mechanisms, you know, backfire on us. And then our lives get even worse. And we still have not dealt with the underlying problem, which, as you know, in addiction is a thinking problem and possibly a feeling problem. Uh-huh. And what I would even add in terms of trauma, if we look at problems, all problems start out as some sort of spiritual level. For example, a, a problem with fear. It Fear is a spiritual problem. It's a lack of trust in ourselves or in the universe. And then when we have that spiritual problem, if we don't deal with it at that level, then it becomes a thinking problem. We start thinking about our fears and then we have emotions and feelings about our fears. So then the problem goes on the feeling level. And then the other component is that if we're not dealing with those and resolving still the spiritual aspect of the problem, we start feeling it physically. We start experiencing tension. We start experiencing problems like TMJ because we're clenching our jaws. We start experiencing, you know, heart palpitations in terms of anxiety. Uh, We begin to perspire. We get headaches. We get stomach aches, pains in our chest. Sometimes people feel like their chest is just so tight. So problems and trauma have a physical component as well. Wow. And you would think that, and people just think, oh, well, why are these people using all the time? Never even getting to the real problem of where, like the real problem, which is deep down inside, which is the trauma. So what are solutions out there that you recommend to people? I mean, we talk about that. We, um, I use 12 step and, um, I, what do you, what are your solutions for people that are out there listening today? I'm a great believer in the 12 steps because the 12 steps help people to address issues at the spiritual level. They also help people build community. They help people look at their thinking patterns. So it's an all comprehensive program in terms of it also helps to build community. Other things, I mean, most people, you know, control drinking, right? Try to do things like that. I always believe, though, you meet the person where they're at. It's very hard to force someone into a program like a 12-step program, whatever that may be. The other types of solutions, you know, coming from as a therapist, a psychotherapist, what I like to do is, you know, I'm a big believer in talk therapy. However, sometimes we can only go as far as we can go because of what we know and what we do. So there are some alternative methods that I believe in as a trauma therapist, and one of those is breath work. And I believe breath work is a great way to help people resolve some of those deeper underlying outside help issues with other than the 12 steps. And other than talk therapy. So, and other than talk therapy. And so, and what is breath work? 
So breath work, oh my God. See, in, layman, is- in layman terms, because like, everybody's going to be like, now wait, what? I've never even heard of breath work. Now I've heard of hypnotism. I've heard of talk therapy. I've heard of like maybe even being thrown in the woods and trying to find your way out, survivor skills. But what is breath work? So what breath work does is it helps to address these underlying feelings that we have, these spiritual issues, these emotions like fear, sadness, stress. And what it does is it uses our natural gift of breathing. We can't live without breath. We have four minutes and four minutes only. So it is vital that we breathe, obviously, right? And oxygen is one of the most important elements for the body. Oxygen takes oxygen actually fuels the metabolism more than anything else. It also helps to to remove the toxins from our body. So what breath work is, it's a continuous breathing technique that takes you into an altered state of consciousness so that you can tap in and link your conscious state because you remain conscious with your unconscious state. And at that point, what happens is you have the ability to see things and make connections between your core belief systems that guide your actions and behaviors and your thinking. You link those core belief systems and that unconscious mind, some of these unconscious tendencies that we have, how we react to situations instead of responding with thoughtfulness. And so it links the unconscious with the conscious. And then it also taps into what we call the superconscious, which is that, that inner healer. So I do believe that everybody has the, their own answers. Unlike hypnosis, the client is really the guide through the breath process. And as a therapist, I sit and ask some open-ended questions, but it's really... Th- my questions are really very basic type questions guided by what the client says. So that during this breath process, the client is talking and, and we are interacting. And they're awake. I mean, pretty much. They're conscious. They, they will yeah. remember everything that happens. There's no hokey pokey. There's no, you know... A uh, pendulum dinging <laughs> to put them in a trance state. All they are doing is breathing and they're keeping a conscious connected breath where there's no pause between the inhale and the exhale. And through this, they go into an altered state. There's lots of research on breath work and how breath work has been equally as effective equally, if not more effective than some of the new alternative therapies out there. For example, you know, ketamine and some of these, you know, high end, uh, very, very expensive hallucinogenic type of therapies that people are saying, oh, you know, microdosing, all these really, you know, special things that if you're sober, if you're trying to maintain a sobriety and a healthy lifestyle, like it's, it's confounding because you can't really do those. Right. So breath work allows you to do those same things in a natural state, and it's something you can practice at home. It's a cleansing. It cleanses the energy within the body. It keeps the energy connected. You know, we're all energetic beings. 
I love this. Well, I have to say, I have done this a couple of times of breath work, and it's been, I have to say, it's been therapeutic for sure, and it's been cleansing. And when I walked away, I just felt, you know, I felt tired, exhausted emotionally, but I also felt freer. Because I had let go a little bit more. I believe for me, at least, the process of letting go is something that I work on each day, right? Because I stay in my head and I can't let go. So those those things that you mentioned, fear, those all those feelings that make me feel less than, I think I need to walk through of letting go rather than holding on to these feelings. And that sets me free. And the breath work set me free. Well, it's interesting. That's exactly what breath work does. I mean, you hit it right on the spot, Elizabeth. So what happens in breath work is that we're freeing the breath. We're actually freeing the breath. We're connecting the head to the rest of the body because a lot of times we're like walking heads, just walking around. We're not grounded yeah. and we're in our thoughts. We're in, you know, thinking about yesterday, thinking about tomorrow, thinking about later. And in this process of breath work, what you're doing is you're connecting your head to the rest of your body mm. and you're connecting yourself to your spirit and to that light that shines within each of us. And it's, and it's amazing. And you would think that, I mean, again, there's nothing crazy about it. It's not like weird. It's not voodoo-y. It's, there's no like crazy stuff going on. She's not burning incense or doing anything like that. I might burn a little incense. Come but, on. But, 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 but maybe Please she does do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is freeing. It's freeing. And now if one of our listeners out, out there is listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm totally intrigued. I really want to learn more about this. I mean, are you, do, you offer, um, do you offer courses on this? I mean, if somebody wanted to do breath work with you, how would they have the ability to do that? So I'm based out of um, Fort Lauderdale, mostly. I do um, also work in New Jersey. And so I do breath work in the New Jersey, Philadelphia area as well. There are websites that you can link to breath workers. If anybody's interested, they can always contact me. I'm sure you'll post my contact information and I'm willing to help anybody find their way towards breath therapy because in my own life, it really helped me to, you know, I get almost emotional when I think about it because breath work is what really helped me to live more and more in my own truth, to be true to my own spirit. You know, they say in 12 steps to the, to thy own self be true. And breath work has really paved that way for me. And how did you find it and how long ago? And will you give us a little story of how you got to breath work and how you found it? Cause it'd be kind of interesting. So a friend of mine took me to a group breath and I started this breath breathing thing. And all of a sudden I felt my body, body tingling. And I had no clue what that was about. Like, why would my body tingle for no reason? And it scared the living bejesus out of me. And I thought I will never do that again. And this was about 15 years ago. And, you know, I'm a therapist I help people work on themselves. And my whole drive home, I was thinking I would never do that again. And I got home and I thought, what a hypocrite. (laughs) 
What a hypocrite, Susie. So I contacted the woman who did that group and then signed up and did 20 individual sessions with her. And at that point, I decided that I needed to do more. And then I happened to run into somebody and I was working, doing my trauma work as a certified trauma therapist, and they were using breath work in their as a trauma specialty. And so it's just like the, the dots started to connect for me. And then I, I connected with a woman, Carol Lampman, who's out of Arizona and have been studying with her for years now about doing trainings. I assist her in trainings. We have one coming up in um, actually next month. So there's all sorts of ways to connect with the breath. And it's really just revolutionized my whole life because what I've been able to do is take some of those core beliefs that I had that, that caused me to get in my own way and have been able to see the truth behind it, that that's just a sort of a veil, those beliefs that get in between me and my truth and my vision of who I really am as a person, who I really am as a loving being. And really what the breath work has done has really helped me find a way to attach and connect to love. Because that's what it's all about, right, is love? It's all about the love. Everything is love and love is everything. And it truly is. And so if the person out there has been going to 12-step and they don't feel like it's enough, I want to talk about that. I want, so if it's not enough, what do you recommend? Because if I know that some people, you know, they have people that they have in 12-step, they go to a sponsor or a friend and they ask them for advice and stuff like that. But what is your recommendation if someone feels kind of stuck and they've been going to 12-step for a while and they're just like, I'm not getting to where I need to go to? What's your recommendation for them? Well, I would definitely try some outside help. I would try to find a therapist that you connect to. And that connection is very important because the research out there says that 15% of traditional talk therapy, you feel 15% better just because you called the therapist, right? When you reach out to a friend for help, you feel a little bit better. 15% 15% is actually the model the therapist practice, practices in t- talk therapy. So that's as good as placebo. And there's over 600 models. There's so much research on the type of model. So that could be cognitive behavioral, um, you know, just thought therapy, whatever type of model people are practicing. 40% of therapeutic change happens because of the client's factors that the client bring in. So those client's strengths, the client's personality, the client's own resources, that's like the major part of what creates therapeutic change. And the other last 30% is the therapeutic relationship. So if you go to a therapist, do a little bit of shopping. You know, I always joke around and I think probably people would, other therapists would not like me for this, but if you go see a therapist, make sure your therapist has a therapist, right? Like in 12 step, you don't want to be sponsored by someone who doesn't have a sponsor. 
right? Ask your therapist, what type of work do they do to take care of themselves? Because that's really, really, really important in our industry. So, um, so these client factors are so important and they make such a difference and any therapeutic, um, so I think I got a little off on a tangent here, so I'm just going to stop myself there. (laughs) And I'm going to say that, um, that getting outside help is important. And there's all sorts of ways to get outside help. It's, you know, going to the professional community. Some people use life coaches. Some people use, you know, yoga, meditation, you know, doing, even though those are part of a 12-step program, there's ways to dive deeper into those things. The other the other thing that I would recommend is don't find too many things because what happens is when we're on this quest for the answers for self-fulfillment, a lot of times we'll go to many different sources and we'll try lots of different things for a little while. So then what we do is we dig shallow, many shallow holes instead of trying one thing or two things and really going deep into that. Right. That's where the difference is. It's going by going deeper. I love that because I can tend to be one that, you know, does has a lot of shallow holes all over the place. Like <laughs> there's been groundhogs all over the neighborhood, right? And I'm following <laughs> in all these holes. But I love that advice, like just to get, do one or two things. And what do you say to the family members that are out there that have a loved one that's battling addiction? Because I, I believe... I kind of think they need just as much help as the actual addict themselves. What is your recommendation to a, to a loved one that has a child or a spouse or a partner that's battling addiction? It's been going on a long time. They don't know what to do. Their resources are depleting, not only financially, but emotionally. And they're like, I don't know what to do next. What is your recommendation to those people that are sitting there at home going, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I feel really lost. I'm a big believer in community and making connections. So we know that the disease of addiction is an isolating disease. It doesn't just isolate the addict. It isolates everybody involved with the addict. So those family members are having their own sense of isolation. They're using their best thinking Right. And they're also a lot of times trying to control the situation. You know, I've seen many times where family members are trying to throw money at the addict to just help them, to help them a little bit more with the money. I hear many times, you know, it's in and out of treatment, in and out of treatment. And for those family members, what they need to do is because we can't control anybody, we have a hard enough time in, in controlling our own. Uh, reactions and responses to situations. So it's really seeking out some sort of community. So there are programs. There are programs like Al-Anon. There are programs for kids like Alateen. There are programs um, like Narconon. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. There are programs, um, you know, like ACOA, a lot of people have addiction that runs many generations. So adult children of alcoholics and alcoholics is a huge and I think a very powerful program. 
And those family members have also dealt with trauma. So seeing a therapist that specializes in trauma, because I think having a child go through something as like as is dealing with addiction is huge trauma to is am I right? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. So yes, of course, going to see a trauma therapist. <laughs> yes, I wasn't tooting my own horn, but yeah, going and seeking some sort of trauma help. I mean, trauma is the hottest, hottest thing. PTSD, people can experience that. I mean, listen, if you're if you're if you your child is in threat of dying. As a parent, there is nothing worse in this world. So is that not trauma? Absolutely. Such fear. I mean, it's debilitating, of, uh, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, think, seeking a therapist, there are all sorts of therapeutic services out there. There's Psychology Today, which has th- uh, therapist locators. There's websites. There, there's a plethora of service. Jewish family services have, have discounted rates, community, uh, churches, you know, even seeing a pastor who can help you find the right therapist. But there are many therapists out there who say they're trauma informed. That's not a certified trauma therapist. Okay. A certified trauma therapist does a specialty in trauma. So I do believe that there is a difference. It's it's all about trauma. And I believe that the family members, I think a lot of times they spend so much, they spend again, so many resources, not only physically, emotionally, financially on the attic, but they aren't taking care of themselves. And so then it's like they're depleted completely. And then they sit at, I feel like they're so lost, the the parents and the family members. And I think reaching out to someone that actually has that specialty, and is there any special letters they should look for anything? Knowing that they have a trauma when they're Googling, like, I want a trauma therapist to help me. What is there anything for them to look for specifically? CTT, Certified Trauma Therapist. Okay. So they need to look for that. And if they wanted to, now, do you see clients that are remote? If, the, if I, we have somebody that's listening and going, oh my gosh, this woman sounds like somebody I would love to talk to. She sounds like she could actually be the answer to my prayers. What, <laughs> do you see clients remotely? Because that's something that, you know, people always want to ask me like, well, she, well, she's in Florida. How am I ever going to see her? I mean, with technology today, do you do that? that? Absolutely. So um, telehealth right is is the new is the new mode of of therapy that's that's going across the country now and so as a telehealth therapist what you do is through a secured website i see clients i either see clients i i i link them to my website and they just click a button and there I am. It's really sort of that simple. They could do it from an iPhone. They can do it from an iPad. They can do it from a computer. And so, yes, I do see clients remotely. Um, I, I love face-to-face, but you know what? I've really had some wonderful, wonderful clients and we've had together a lot of success in therapy through remote resources. Again, you know, 30% of change comes through that therapeutic relationship. So, you know, if you get a sense after the second session, like, yeah, I'm not feeling it with this person, move on. Therapy's expensive. It's expensive. So just move on. So yes, I do do remote sessions. Um, 
And I, I also work on the weekends, some weekends. <laughs> she does. She does. I have to say, as being her friend, it's sometimes hard to get her to come out and play with me. <laughs> but it's interesting because I have to say that, you know, I have seen a lot of therapists that don't do the things that you mentioned, which is the self-care, which seeing therapists on their own, working on themselves. And I know I can attest, I am going to stand here and validate Susie, Dr. Susie Coleman, because she does take care of herself and she does go and, you know, has all those resources for herself as well so that she is not depleted. It's something she does is self-care and she does, you know, go and talk to someone as well, because when you have a sponsor, you need that sponsor to have a sponsor. Susie, thank you so much. But I want to ask you one last question. Oh, no. So for the listener that's out there, one, what is one thing that you, like one nugget that you would love to give to everybody that's out there listening? So one nugget. So I'll give one nugget that I try to always remind myself that for myself and my own emotional sobriety, I'll say, for my own emotional sobriety, is that I always try to maintain a smile that never fades. Mm. So lots of times, you know, in daily life and family life, there are things that happen that make us sad, that make us worry, that make us have fear. And what I try to always remember is that my smile will carry me through that. So my smile is about love. When I look at someone and I smile, I'm sharing love with them. And so when I look at myself and smile, I'm sharing love. When I'm going through a hard time, even just smiling at myself and remembering to smile and not letting anything fade that smile, that to me is... um is one of those things that just always carries me through. And it helps if you even have to fake it till you make it right with the smile, right? Absolutely. I'm a big believer in acting as if, (laughs) because acting as if is the practice that we need so we can create new patterns of behavior, so we can create new habits. Acting as if If you think about it, some people have a problem with this, but acting as if is acting from a place of to thy own self be true. And it's practicing that. So I love that act as if. I love that too. Susie, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful. I've been begging her and bugging her to do this. And I am so grateful you did this. Thank you so much today. And to everybody out there, I will have a link for how you can reach Susie. I will have her website on there. I'll even maybe even put on her, I'll put her email address. I don't know if I'll put her phone, maybe even her phone number. We'll see if she wants me to do that. She says, yeah, why not? She's shaking her head, yes. And until next week, you know, reach out to anybody with any questions. Please question, comments, topics you'd like us to talk about. Because we're always here for you. And until next week, keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye.